Hello, and welcome to the MUX Podcast. In this episode, we cover the song Introducing Palace Players. I'm Thomas from Denmark, and with me today, like last time, is Anne from Seattle. Hi. As well as Otva from Norway. Hello. Today we also have a special guest with us, Heather, all the way from New York, or at least the greater New York area, is that right? Yes. Hi. Yeah, you'll be assisting with uh, a bit of the on the technical side today, so let's see how that goes. Anyway, this is the show 100% for fans by fans. In each episode, we aim to reminisce and talk nostalgia, as well as analyze and discuss everything about each and every song in the Mew Back catalog. If you're unfamiliar with the band, then I hope maybe this is a good place to start on your journey to become one. Who knows? Anyway, so let's talk about introducing Palace Players. And would you uh, give us a little bit of an introduction to the song here? Right. So it was first released as a single on May 28th, 2009 on their MySpace page on Sony Music Entertainment. This is the second track on their fifth studio album with a very long title. No more stories are told today. I'm sorry they washed away. No more stories. The world is gray. I'm tired. Let's wash away. And this album was produced by Rich Costi and Mew. And Swirly's guitarist and frontman, Damon Tatunchian, plays bass on the song, as Johan obviously was out of the band at this time. Uh, The regular live keys and guitar player, Nick Watts, plays some additional keyboards on the track. The song was mixed by Rich Costi at Legendary Electric Lady Studios in New York City. The song is often referred to as their sexy song, due to the sexy guitar playing by Bo. Pitchfork calls the guitar riff a King Crimson-ish guitar refrain. Consequence of Sound says this about introducing palace players. Once you get over the offbeat out of rhythm intro that lasts a monumental 56 seconds, the song crescendos into some beautiful instrumentation for another minute before Jonas Bjerre hits his trademark high notes. Cool. So that was a bit of the practical stuff about the song. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, peculiar title. Is that, uh, isn't it peculiar, would you say? It is, for sure. I guess the obvious question is, um, who who would be the uh, palace players that are being introduced? I think that's that's uh, Mew, right? There's a whole band. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because Damon, uh, I mentioned Damon, that guy, he called them palace players. Um, uh, I don't remember when or where he did it, but he, yeah, he for some reason started calling them palace players. I have no idea why. Okay, I didn't actually know that. I I have this this distinct memory of at one point when they were doing their practice in their studio that they rented in uh, New York, they they called that the palace or something like that. I I, I don't know the source of that, but that's something I just seem to remember hearing at one point. And so... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's very um, connected to the lyrics in any way, uh, which tends to be like what song titles are, right? Like they usually reference something in the song. Yeah, and I think like when we get to the analysis of the lyrics, maybe it'll become a little more apparent, but I think they are sort of talking about themselves and their relationship. So we we can come back to that later. Yeah, let's do that. 
but yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about the uh, the composition because I think anyone who's heard this song would think like what what is going on here because it's such a peculiar peculiar intro. Uh, Heather, we're hoping this is kind of your uh, your field, so maybe you could say a few wise words about it. I'll try and play a little bit about it about the, from the song just so we we get a feel for it here. Yeah, so. This song is really simplistic in its design, right? So like if any of you guys are musicians and you know what whole notes and half notes are, that's really what we're looking at when, um, you know, in, in the guitar riffs, where it, it's a lot of holding out those notes for, for a four count and really, you know, for, for, for half counts. Um, really the only thing that's making it as intricate and prog-like as it is, is all of their individual flavors coming together. So you have Jonas with his very dreamy, lilting falsettos. Um, you have Bo with his uniquely grunge, crunch, sort of almost an arena rock feel, but keeping the, keeping true to uh, like an indie sound. And then you have Silas with his on-point, accented, complimentary playing style. Um, it's, it sounds really polyrhythmic. Yeah, we'll and it's not. It's it, it is in four four. Um, but I, in listening to this, want to put some sort of like different type signatures uh, in some places, especially when you listen to Silas in the background in the opening when he kind of has this really offbeat playing style. And and if if you play the song, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. But it almost sounds like he forgets his entrance. Um, it, it's not keeping to this straight four four. Um, and then at the end where it's sort of just like this, bah, 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 I, oh, it's so hard to explain, but like at, at the, at the end when it's, it's not keeping to that four, four beat, he kind of plays on the, on, on, on the upbeat of it in, in a really slow way. So it, it almost sounds like it's in a different time signature entirely, but it's not. And I think that's really what Muse flavor is and why it's, why they're just so unique is because they are simplistic at its core, melodically at its core, um, but everyone has their own playing style that really just creates this beautiful chemistry together. It's one of those songs that feel like they've kind of forced it together in some way, right, until it worked. That's often yeah. some way, a way they describe their, their process when they're writing songs. Um, so I, I definitely, I, I don't know, I, I feel like it's super obvious on this song, um, as, as someone who doesn't know a lot about time signatures or uh, anything like that. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, I, I can't really add anything to what you said, Heather, because, yeah, that was really good. But um, it's definitely a song that was built out of uh, Bo's guitar riff, and it just builds into like a weird, yeah, very strange song that I actually it took me a while to get really into it because it was so uh, different from anything else that they, they made in the past. And that's re and that's really the the thing of it is that it sounds like it's a jam. Like when when I remember hearing this song, and not that it took me a while to get into, because I I really did take into like how how rocky it felt and like how I could kind of just like bop my head to it. Um, but what really you know kind of took a little while for me to push past was the fact that it just sounded like a jam. Um, it sounded like, you know, they kind of just made it in their, you know, in their, in their studio. They were kind of like messing around, you know, one day hanging out, 
you know, um, and, and I can just envision, you know, like Bo is just playing, you know, some sort of riff and here comes Silas just kind of, you know, jamming out and Jonas is, is just kind of observing, sitting there observing. Um, and I, and I think that repetition, especially towards the, the middle end of the song, um, where he goes like, where did you go? Let's do that, that part. It sounds like they, wanted to keep going because they didn't know how to end it (laughs) so and Mm, but then like as you get towards the end of the song you kind of feel that closure um especially with such like a like a powerful ending and then it just stops um it the closure is really really nice just everything leading up to that sounded like it was a jam yeah cool i mean i'm I'm a bit baffled it's 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 funny hearing someone technical talk about it. Uh, I'm always like really noticing the drum beat of it as well. Is is that's is that running on the four four time signature as it well? It is. Um. So. Uh, I I like I don't want to sing it because it's it's you know you don't want to hear me sing it. That's not what you're listening to this podcast for. Um. But it's. It's it's on the offbeat entirely. So if like if you're just tapping your foot to the beat of it, and then like Silas is in there just on the on the the upbeat of it, and it just sounds so off, but it sounds so good. Yeah, and especially when it comes together in the end. It, it, can you say something like how do they do that? Like how do they make something that's off, like two beats that are off each other, and then hit like yeah. That really just comes with good chemistry as a band. That's not really, you know, that that's really hard to to force. It's, I mean, honestly, being in a band as someone who's been in a band, uh, a few of them, it's really hard to create chemistry. You either have it or you don't, and it's very much like a relationship. You know, you either get along with that person really, really well. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your, you know, your partner, um, your. just everything either fits like a key and just there's no effort just everything just comes naturally and it's almost like you can you know how you you can read each other's thoughts in a relationship it's kind of the same way in a band where you can almost anticipate where they're going and you know like with with Jonas he might be able to almost anticipate like what note Bo is gonna Bo is gonna start playing um and and Bo can anticipate so what are timing what, anything here. Is that what you're saying? That, right, they, they it, it are, comes, but they're not right. Not like com- they can just composed. almost read each other's like you know like their their future actions, and that's that's an amazing thing. That's how you know you have a really really great band is that chemistry. Yeah, great. It's a great point. Okay, so let's uh, move on to the next segment. The uh, first time you heard the song, in this case, Palace Players. Um, Audrey, you want to take it away here? Yeah, so this is from Mauro Janji in Portugal. It was 2010, summer. I remember coming home from the beach. I was obsessed by this new band I discovered on MTV2. Zookeeper's Boy was the song, and I had to listen to everything these guys had. So a few days before that beach day, I had asked my uncle to download an album from them. I have no idea why I started with normal stories instead of fringes or kites. It would have made more sense, but that's how it went. So I had just arrived from the beach, laid down on my bed and put the headphones on, and that's how it started. New terrain started to play, and the rest changed my life forever. Yeah, so the next one we have is from Laura Fulmer from the US. 
I first heard introducing Palace players on YouTube when I was 14 years old. I can't remember exactly, but I think a comment on a similar band's video said that Muse song had a really odd intro. So I found the music video for Introducing Palace Players, and I was really confused about what was going on, from the odd beat to the dark, unexplainable scenes. As I listened through the entire song, it began to grow on me, especially the ending. Although I still don't know the meaning behind the music video or the lyrics, it's still a sentimental song to me because it's one of the first songs, I think it might have been the first, I ever heard from Mew. My curiosity from the song led me to discover more of Mew's songs like Special and others from the No More Stories album like New Terrain and Beach. I eventually realized how unique and quirky Mew was and still is. Because of that, Mew stands out to me as a band that is more than just their songs. They are personable, are able to express their songs in beautiful and creative ways that most other bands don't do. These are just some of the reasons why Mew is my favorite band, and I'm incredibly thankful that Introducing Palace Players' intro caught my attention. Also, I can never hear the intro the same as it sounded the first few replays. So, uh, yeah, I have a few, few good stories here. Although, po- from Portugal, it wasn't really about Introducing Palace Players, but um, <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> we'll, we'll but let it go. We we'll got the point. Go. You got there. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Otna, when was the the first time you heard this song? I'm pretty sure I heard it for the first time when it was released on MySpace in 2009. I don't remember exactly where I was, uh, but I I lived in the UK at the time. But yeah, I was actually probably back in, in Norway for summer vacation. So I guess I was in my, my old room at my parents' house or something like that, uh, listening to it. As I said earlier, I think uh, it took me a while to get used to the new sound of Mew. But yeah, it, obviously it, it grew on me. And, I, I remember as well, it was a very peculiar comeback um, coming from Kites and Frenders. But yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Anne? Uh, yeah, for me, it was, uh, I had downloaded the uh, new album and it, this was in September. It came out in the US uh, of 2009. So it had been out for a while you know, in other parts of the world, but this is the first time I was hearing it. And I was sitting in my living room. I had put my iPod on a little dock. So I was listening on these kind of crappy little speakers. New terrain comes on. I'm like, uh, what the hell is this? I had no, I, I was expecting some, some more like kite, like, you know, stuff. And no, it was nothing like it. I, I was baffled. I didn't know what to think of it. And so that new terrain is over and this one comes on. I'm like, okay, this, this is more of that weird stuff. And then, you know, it gets past that really bizarre intro sound and it gets into the more rocking part. And I was like, oh, okay, I can really get into this. And that's where I was like, okay, I, I have to give this whole thing a, another shot. I can't just like listen to this once and, and make up my mind about it. So I, I thought it was very strange at first, but, you know, repeated listenings, I, I got used to it. So that that's really all I have to say about that. I hope that isn't like the the theme of of this episode. <laughs> it's like I got used to yeah. it <laughs> eventually. What about you, Heather? Uh, it'd be interesting to hear. What when when was the first time you heard it? Because because you were quite late to the game. We just learned here before we started recording. Yeah. Um. So I had much like um. Uh, much like Morrow, um, my first experience with Mew was um, listening to Zookeeper's Boy, and that song drew me in 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 a way that you know, like I just 
I didn't know what to do with myself because I've just never heard anything like it. So it just, I immediately had to have absolutely everything, anything, everything. Like I was a fiend for it. And, you know, so as it goes, you know, I, I, I had the album and it was just a track that had come on. And I think one of the things that really drew me was just the getting back into the, the technicalities of the composition just a little bit. Um, it, the, that little initial like electronic sounding riff um that plays in the beginning of it um is very bitonal to the to the to the key that it's in so it's just like oh that's a that's a really weird thing to put in there let's let's see <laughs> let's see how the rest of this goes you know and and again knowing nothing about Mew um i i had no idea what to expect from them what year was this sorry uh that was in yeah that was 2010 that was, I think that was like maybe March 2010. Um, so um, I, I listened to the song and I was just like, yeah, this is this is really good. Like, this is just something that, you know, I could get, I just kind of like tap my feet to, just bop to, do homework to. Um, and it was just unlike anything that I, I, I heard on um, Glass Handed Kites. It, it, it was just so different. So... And, and that was sort of everything on this album as well just sounded so different. So um, just like it, it was just, I don't have a special story or anything. It was just a song that I got into and I was like, oh, I really like this. It's really interesting in its design. So which in which order did you get? You said you started with Zookeeper. When did you, was introducing Palace Players the, the next song you got to or was it, wasn't it too much later in? No, I listened to... Um, Listen to Glass Handed Kites for a really long time, um, cause, uh, only because I couldn't stop listening to Fox Cub and I couldn't listen to stop listening to Zookeeper's Boy. So you kind of had an expectation of, of of what was to come when you went into the No More Stories songs, or how was that feeling? Um, I wasn't disappointed at all. Um, I, I thought, like, everything was really, like, honestly, just as good as Glass Handed Kites. Like, sure, there were there were some songs that I just, I didn't get into um, as quickly. Um, and, and I'm not sure what it was about Glass Handed Kites that was, that, that was just so different. But did you, did you kind of, like, rediscover it in introducing Palace Players or? Now I'm, I'm fishing a little bit here just to, to keep it around that song specifically. Yeah, I, I know. It's just like I unfortunately just don't have a really special story with introducing pal- Palace Players. I know problems. I guess I could put in my own little take on it. I could add a little bit of flavor of, of, of opinion because I was very much on the Snow Brigade, Apocalypso is the coolest stuff ever, right? Um, and then like the whole kites vibe was very it's very ingrained in me as well. Um, so maybe I was projecting a bit when I was asking questions there, because <laughs> um, I because I remember the first time I heard this song, it just hit me as that very peculiar weirdness, um, and what you said and like the the whole album just requires a lot of listening. Like I'm not sure I've still made up my mind on what I think about that album. Like I, I like kites and fringers, I can tell you those are amazing albums. You should go listen to them. But no more stories. I'm still like. I mean, there's something here. It's it's really good, but I don't know if I could recommend it. And and like introducing Palace Players was kind of that introduction to that. It had the guitar, it had the riffs, but it was so quirky, and and 
it didn't have those highs and lows that a lot of their other songs have. It wasn't if you know as what dreamy. I mean. Like it's very much running in its own, doing its own thing, and in, 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 in like the same monotone way. Um, so it kind of hit me. Yeah, it didn't quite click with me, I suppose. But I think that's also kind of the point. <laughs> it's not supposed to click with the weird intro, and then yeah, I don't think it was till I heard it live that it really. It, it, I was like, okay, it is actually a really good, really good song that that fits in really well with the rest of their their catalog. Yeah, like I said in the in the previous episode, I said like Emma Rhino is a perfect starting point for uh, to introduce uh, the band to a new person. I feel like the Normal Stories album is a tougher sell, but uh, it seems like a lot of people actually became a fan because of introducing Palace Players. So it seems like a very popular song with the fans. Yeah, I always get the idea that people who are really into music but aren't aware of Mew, they they tend to, they they tend to get intrigued by this song. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, so it's definitely something. It's up there along the the songs. Like, a, a, it's not the first song I would introduce, but it's generally it's you know fourth or fifth song maybe. Yeah, I would I would uh, introduce to to someone unfamiliar with Mew. Yeah, I mean, like I I think. Um... You know, as if we if we look at the bands that we like outside of Mew, you know, if if someone's like, oh, I really want to get into this band, what do you recommend? You know, there, you know, every band has you know an album or two that is just like you just don't recommend it first. Not to say that it's not good, but it just wouldn't click to you have to know you have to speak the language (laughs) right and and i think i think no more stories is really one of those albums that you know like once you're into them once like muse got its hooks in you you know this is something that you get into um i mean there are absolutely songs on here that i would recommend to people like i i love tricks of the trade um I definitely will give sometimes life isn't easy to someone who's having a really bad day. Um, I think Repeater Beater is a really great song to recommend to people, but as far as an album as a whole, no disrespect to Mew whatsoever, but it's it's on such a technical level that I think... It's it's the fans' album, right? Yeah, I I think because it's such a technical album, um, initial uh, initial people that, that are... You know that have not heard you before are not going to click with it. Yeah, it's almost like Fringers is the greatest hits. This is the baseline. You need to get these. You'll like them all. Great. And then you go into Kites, which is like it gets a little bit more tricky, but you get some themes, you get some thematics, you get their the the feeling they're going for. And then you end with No More Stories, which is like you you don't get any higher than this. This is probably the most complex they're ever going to make it. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, as I said, it's, it's been like a very popular song with the with the fans or the fringers, I should say. It's actually number eight uh, in our survey that we did. Oh yeah, it's made wow. the top ten. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's not a song I would have thought would have made it that far when we consider there's over 120 songs in that survey. That is surprising because it's so technical and hard to get into. That really surprises me. Yeah, so it's definitely a very popular song. I, I see a lot of people like uh, talking about introducing palace players as their favorite song. So, really, yeah, it's interesting. interesting. I wonder what you know what what their takeaway from the songs are. What the band? Oh, the the people. Yeah, yeah. Like if if because yeah, again, like you know, just like you guys, I'm kind of surprised that it's it's a top favorite as well. You know, considering 
you know, all of the other songs that they have. And, you know... To be, f- to be fair, though, it was a survey of 140 Mew fans. So <laughs> the casual listener who might know it from the radio might not rate it as high. I don't know. Um, so let's move on to the uh, the next segment. This is our lyrical walkthrough. So uh, we're going to get into the lyrics here and then see what's what's going on. Um, so the lyrics are quite long, com- especially compared to last week's uh, Am I Rhino? No? And the beginning of the song is, is, is a little bit muddled in some ways, and um, some of the lyrics are not um, easily heard. There's um, a section one line here that's sung by a choir of four girls that blends into the background a lot of people don't even hear it and then there's a line right after that that is not in the official lyrics and nobody knows for sure what it is um from muex.info we once asked Jonas to explain that line and he only (laughs) gave us some information about the choir of girls so that's still a mystery so we'll we'll get to that in a second here yeah, I can maybe play a little bit here. Yeah, do you want to do that right now? Just just play that first bit? Yeah, so here you go. Yeah, so that, that, that choir part there is where this first line is being sung, but it's very difficult to hear. I just thought it, it honestly, I just thought it was like a keyboard, like string, you know, thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so did I, until today. <laughs> okay, so that, that line that the girls are singing is, in which we make sure no one got hurt. And then um, there's a line there that, that Jonas says that none of us have any idea what it is. And the official lyrics start, what is it that you do? You got to get back up yourself. We know so much, so much we do. No answer. In a word, you were told that it fixed your shaky home and what got made was broken too. Okay, so so far I'm, I have no idea what it's singing about. <laughs> it feels like a setup, like uh, not in the song, but like mm-hmm. the song is setting up some things. When he says no answer, it's like he's talking to someone that doesn't respond, obviously. It's like he's talking to maybe uh, a girl, I guess. He's always singing about a girl, right? I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, the the interpretation that I've heard that I've stuck with since the beginning is that this may have been a song about Johan leaving. Mm. So the, the person he may be addressing in the lyrics is Johan and the relationship that they have with him in the band. Um, so he left the band because his son was born and he wanted to be able to spend more time with him and be a better father. That was back and, in 2006, know, I believe. It was just, you know, after Kites was released. Um, so if he's talking about Johan, if that that's what we're going with here, um, he's like, okay, look, I, I understand that you've got your own life to take care of. You got to take care of yourself. You know, you got to get back up yourself. You know, that's that's how I interpret that line. Um, and we, we understand a lot about each other. We've done so much together. But now he's not here to reply to that. So that's the no answer part. And um, 
maybe this next line in a word you were told that it'd fix your shaggy home yes. could be a reference to his uh, family life where his wife said, look, we've got this situation here. Um, you're in this band and you can't balance both of these things and, and be a good father and a good band member. So him leaving the band may be the one thing that would fix their marriage, their, their family situation. And, um, yeah, so so what got made was broken to maybe partially the band breaking up in a way with him leaving. Whoa, um, that's a wrap, I suppose. You've just solved the song. <laughs> I have never <laughs> yeah, you have. thought that. I don't remember who told me that, that it was probably Johan, but that, that moment that somebody said that to me, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense to hmm. me. Yes, it does. And I don't know why. Of course it's about him. Like when you, when you say it like yeah. that, it's like, of course... That's what happened in that at that point in time, right? When this song was written. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's let's see where it goes then. Let's see if it's correct. Okay, next uh, lines. Just a field with you, switching seats with you, tears us apart. I don't want it to. Some peculiar fix. The two of us counting us out. I don't want it to. Again, switching seats. I guess they they have to switch him out with someone else. Yeah, and and the the other band members have to basically, you know, take turns doing the part that Johan played. Somebody has to write the bass lines. Somebody has to play the bass. I don't want to do this, but we got to make this work. We got to do something about this. Yeah, so it seems like it was actually uh, quite hard on the other guys in the band then. What happened? Tears us apart. I don't want it to. So maybe there's been a point in time where Mew almost broke up because of it. Who knows? Yeah, that it must have been very difficult for them to try to figure out how do we make this work without this key member of the band anymore. Yeah. Uh, it mm-hmm. definitely opens up the uh, the theme of the whole album in, in a way. Because I, f- I feel like that's a re- reoccurring theme throughout mm-hmm. every, the, yeah, the other absolutely. songs. Right? Okay, next segment. Overnight turned all gray. What is it that you do? You got to get back up yourself. We know so much, so much we do. No answer. In a word, you were told that it fixed your shaky home and what got made was broken too. So that's just a repetition of that first segment. Um, and that that first line there, overnight turned all gray. That That's basically that this happened overnight for them. Like, okay, we got to make a quick decision. What do we do here? And we've got just a field with you, switching seats with you, tears us apart. I don't want it to. Some peculiar fix, the two of us counting us out. I don't want it to. Just a creed with you, switching seats with you, tears us apart. I don't want it to. And that the only real new line in there is just a creed with you. What does that mean? That's like a an agreement, a promise, a belief. Um we've we've understand that you have to go do this thing and and yeah we're we're gonna agree to it Mm -hmm. and just move forward um next segment what are we going to do i'd really like it if you turned out the lights as we planned it's gonna hurt when we land i don't want it to wow i i mean you you solved the song in the first the first thing here turned out the lights as we planned it's gonna hurt when we land so uh, what's he saying there like he turned out the lights 
this is like the expectation of like or the go it's the heading into the unknown they don't know where this next album's gonna go is that what's going on here like yeah it's there's a lot of uncertainty and I, it, there may be a little bitterness in that line too it's like he's saying lights out for this we're, we're done you know that it's it's like a, a metaphor for things going down and then the, this this next line here why did you go lots of different reasons so many you can't even count you think it's right jumping off the seesaw or do you just want it to be so that that to me continues that that previous thought he's he's feeling a little bit bitter over this it's like really you're you're ditching us you think that's okay just letting us uh, fly off into nowhere you know because you've you've got to do this thing for yourself and hmm. yeah he's he's like asking him are you justifying this somehow or is there a real you know good reason for this to be this well, way he's trying to, to justify it to himself like trying to put himself in his place I don't know in which order they each got kids because I get a feeling they all have kids by now, right? Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling Johan was the first one, Yeah, right? yeah. Because uh, that's also something I've thought a lot about growing up with the album as well. Um, that, that It's very much that coming to terms with adulthood and the responsibilities of that. Yeah, so the, the, there's a lot of... There's that underlying theme of children on the album as well, of like right. maybe having children and living the nine to five life and so so i feel like maybe that's the adolescent trying to put themselves in that place of oh what does it mean to suddenly have to go do something else because like something is suddenly more important than this mm -hmm. especially considering they were at that point probably one of the most hype bands in the in the country um I mean, I, I can imagine the pressure and and the thoughts even going through Johan's head, right? When, when having to make the decision that I'm, my kid is more important. Yeah, but that, this song actually came out like three years after he left the band, though. So it's um, maybe he wrote the song just after they split, or I mean, it's the whole album definitely shimmers from the missing yeah. element, right? <laughs> Uh, it's like yeah. they filled in all the blanks with all sorts of weirdness and quirkiness, um, mm -hmm. which which I feel like is very, it's very um, like it, it's it's what you say iconic for that album. Like every song has its own peculiarity and really sticks out and could only really fit on that album. Yeah, I wonder if it's awkward for Johan to play the song live now. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've asked him a couple of different times how he feels about playing the music that they wrote without him and. This song and and Silas the Magic Car, those those couple of songs are are very obviously about the the panic and feelings of of Johan leaving the band, and he's he always says over and over, yes, it's it's fine. I love playing these songs, so I don't think he he sees them in any kind of negative light. You know, this he he definitely can understand why his bandmates may have needed to have a catharsis of some point or some sort, you know, because. He probably dealt with things his own way, and and he he went and formed his own band with his wife, and did his own thing for a little while, and so they had to do their thing too. Yes, I guess we solved that one. <laughs> Didn't expect it to be that easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said before, you know, we we had been chatting about this. Like, I bet it's a lot easier than you guys imagine. Yeah. <laughs>
I honestly, once again, uh, I had no idea. I had not even thought that was the angle, but obviously it was. I always had this idea that it was about some sort of uh, breakup or divorce. I think a friend of mine once uh, said, oh, this song's about a divorce in in a way, and I always just kind of took that at face value because it was so odd to listen to that like, it, it, it's, none of the lines seemed to resonate with me and never seemed to like connect. Mm-hmm. Now, you think by default that if a man is singing, he's probably singing about some breakup he had with a woman, like you say, a divorce or something. But even if you have a really, really strong friendship with somebody, it can feel like a divorce when you split up. Like I've I've been through a real divorce and I've had friends that I've, you know, been like almost like we were married. We we're so close and, and something would happen where we have to split up. And that almost feels the same way in a lot of ways. So I can see how it could easily be read that way right but i mean like even if you look at like nothingness and no regrets you know i think it's really obvious what that song is about especially mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. you know right after bo just left the band i mean it, it was obvious to me that that was precisely what he was singing about so and, and i don't really think that johan is really keen on writing songs about breakups <laughs> i don't really think that's his shtick definitely some relationship thing going on there but obviously yeah in 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 many different ways um but actually uh thinking about like the uh the oddity of listening listening to this um and the like mishearing lyrics i know heather you had some funny funny thoughts on it on that yeah and i mean not much but um where now i always thought um, and what got made was broken too. I thought it was, and what God made was broken too. And Ooh. also the the other thing that I would hear that I would hear was broke in two, as in into two pieces. Uh huh. Yeah, I thought so. It as well. And I feel like if you you take a minute and listen to those three different lyrics, they might translate differently. Mm hmm. Yeah, I realized I never really read the lyrics. I just heard the song and tried to figure the lyrics out in my head. So uh, that's why I, I guess I never figured out what it was about. Uh, should we go to the video and let's see if there's any relations with any visual aspects of the song? Go for it. Okay. So the video was directed by Martin Detora, Adam Hashimi and Lasse Martinusen and was released by AOL Spinner on July 29th in 2009. It's shot on different locations around Denmark. The band themselves are not to be seen in this one, so I think that's the first one, right? Yeah, in some form or another, I believe at that point, yeah, that they'd always been in it somehow, whether as cartoons or images yeah. or quick cuts or actors or something, yeah. Another thing I noticed uh, while watching the video is that it's actually played like a key or octave lower than on the album. I don't know if it's a key or octave, I don't know, but it's definitely played in a lower range than on the album. Yeah, it's on a it's a different key and just to make sure that was correct, I actually played the video and the album side by side and they are a half step difference. Mm-hmm. And really interesting okay. tidbit. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you guys um have noticed or if you guys do it over where you are, but radio stations will sometimes play songs in, in, a, in a half step higher um, than what would be on a normal artist's album um, because it actually speeds up 
the song itself. And when a song is sped up, even just a little bit, it makes more time for commercials and they get more money. So just a really oh. interesting tidbit for huh. you. Oh, man, that's a dirty tactic. Right? So, so you think the reason why it's on a lower key on the video is simply so MTV, when they heighten it, it will sound normal? It's very possible. And I always thought um, that it was because it keeps the song fresh in your mind. Like, I, I play piano. Shameless plug that I played a live video earlier today um, with of a bunch of Muse songs. Yeah. Um, but sometimes to keep something fresh um, and to kind of give me that feeling it, uh, hearing it for the first time feeling, I will raise the key a half step or a whole step higher than what's, what it is originally. And it just sounds brand new. Um, and mm. I, I thought that's why they did it. It was a psychological thing. And to learn that it's not is a little disappointing. Um, I'm not entirely sure what Muse reasons would be. Um, I, I don't mm. know if it's it kind of induces that psychological thing as well. Um, I, I imagine it's it's a label thing, isn't it? Like they they need to know how to promote it, and there are certain things that need to be done in a video. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if honestly the the lower key has been chosen for not for artistic reasons, but more for something like that that, that you say right um, because they might heighten the key in the. And on, on the music channels and such. It's interesting. And, and honestly, I, I'll spend a little bit more time digging into it. Because, um, I mean, if it's a if it's a music video, I'm not sure what the, the benefit is. Like, I understand if it's on the radio, but if it's a music video, I mean, I don't know what the benefit of, or, of raising or lowering a song, you know, a, a, a key or a half key would, would produce. So I know um, this is one of three videos for this album. Um, all videos were had Martin Detour in, involved in them. Um, and that was Introducing Palace Players, obviously, as the first one. And then there was Repeater Beater and, uh, and Beach. And obviously we'll get to those uh, videos once we get to the songs, right? Um, but they all run with kind of the same themes uh, when when they were created. Like there's there's some... And there's some reoccurring elements, although they're not super obvious. Um, but it would be interesting to look into whether the other videos are also played like a key, uh, at a lower key. I don't remember noticing that difference uh, when when thinking about the other videos, but I remember noticing it in introducing Palace Players. Uh, but I guess we'll we'll have to keep an eye out for it once we get there. Yeah, so are there any like similarities with the lyrics and the visuals in the video? I guess we should, for those that might not have seen it, we should describe it a little bit. So what, what we're seeing is, is the beautiful Danish landscape, or at least from a forest. Um, they're filming in this forest with a classic Danish weather of very gray, kind of wet and moist. And we're in the, the, what would you call it? Like you're in a forest and they're doing a lot of close-up shots of like, roots and trees and mushrooms and later on you get some of the animal life that goes on there right you've got the the snails and yeah horses and yeah oh yeah true there's some horses in there there's some deer in there by the end and so there's a lot of nature going on but then it's the the juxtaposition it's like this oddity this cube is floating around and it starts shooting a laser as soon as the song, like the the intro's passed and the song kicks in, it starts shooting like 
uh, a neon laser through the forest and it's like searching for something and then as the, the song builds you find out there are multiple of these uh, flying rocks rock formations and they're kind of melding together um and then constructing this bigger uh, bigger structure uh, and then by the end you get like a total shot of this wooded um wooded area with the, with a lake but then there's this massive uh, stone structure that's kind of been built by these flying rocks um it looks kind of like an animal or something like that yeah it looks a bit like uh, i'm reminded of the what's it called in you know the one in egypt of oh, the, the sphinx or yeah yeah that one like the the massive one that's lost its nose yeah that's the sphinx yeah 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 it kind of reminds me of that personally that the final shot there um so that's kind of what's going on in the video but, but of how it relates to the lyrics um maybe maybe and you're the you're the one for for answering that i i can't really connect it in any particular way like the only thing that that i get out of the video is it gives me like x-files vibes it gives me close encounters of third kind vibes like that it's sort of this eerie unsettling thing like you don't know exactly what's going on but i i can't actually connect it back to the lyrics at all you you actually just dropped one of the the big big names uh, big references uh, i don't remember exactly where he where i was hearing it where i read it but the three videos have that what did you call the movie close encounters of the third kind Yes, I believe that was the reference. Yeah. And I believe that's why that's this the specific car that's in the video. I believe that's from the same movie or the same time period. Yeah, I the the movie is from the 70s. Uh it's it's one of my favorites. I I've list, or I've watched that many many times. Um it wouldn't surprise me that car is from the 70s too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and then then there's a lot with sound, which is something to notice. There's the sound of air like the going through and you'll notice it in the other videos as well in the repeater beta video it starts with like a shot out of a window where you have a tree and the 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 noise of the leaves going and then obviously in that video it's it's about uh, hypnosis and you know otherworldly stuff um and and like encounters with i guess encounters with different beings and then you have beach which also starts with the sound of wind catching in that case this hut on a beach um, and then there's this weird you get this feeling of this weird creature moving around the hut so there are some some similarities in the videos in that fashion uh, and i remember reading that that was kind of the that was where the director and they met that when they were did when they were discussing what to do with these videos i think that was i think it's been that they did some sort of uh, exhibition at one point um i don't know if you remember that I think it was in the states, even maybe in New York. I I can't remember exactly, but they they had some sort of mu- exhibition at a museum where the videos were premiered, mm. um, and there was probably been a bu- bunch of photography and a bunch of. Uh, the... Oh yes, that's this. It's coming back to me now. I th- I think we covered that on the the website before I I joined in on the fun the website. So um, I I'll have to go back and look at that again. Yeah. Um, but there, there was definitely some common themes, and I believe that was how they, when when they were had that, uh, probably one of those introductory meetings where right, where they have to brainstorm, and that's probably when Martin and uh, and the and the guys of the band kind of got together and were like, okay, this is what we're doing. Um, at least that's that's how I remember 
reading it and understanding it. Well, I mean, if you're looking at the lyrics of the song and you really find that there's a lot of emotion in here, which, you know, it, it, we've kind of talked about, um, my takeaway after analyzing and, and watching this video is that it's not necessarily supposed to reflect the lyrics so long as, so much as it is there to complement the feeling that it's trying to exude. Um, something, you know, very unnatural, these, these, these block rock formations in, in a field, in a forest, um, and it, it is very unsettling, which would, that, which could mirror that unsettling feeling from, you know, if it is Johan, uh, Johan's decision to leave could kind of reflect that, that, that unrest, that anxiousness, you know, that the rest of the band is feeling. Um, something that feels very unnatural, his his decision to leave, and it doesn't feel natural that, you know, the band is supposed to kind of go on without him, you know, no longer there. So I think it's really just supposed to be more about the, the emotion behind the song and not necessarily to, you know, be a mirror to the lyrics, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's almost made to be open to interpretation, right? Yeah, and the only thing I can think of is like it's all coming together in the end kind of thing with the rock formation just a long shot but yeah something like i guess if you want to take a real low shot at it uh you take something very natural and something very unnatural and you try and fit it together in the same way that they try and fit this song together and make it work um with their off beat beats and and whatnot weren't there like five rock formations to form a pentagon yeah. Oh yeah, that yeah. that came in too. So I mean, that <laughs> could po- very possibly be, you know, the five new members as it stands right now, without him there. Yeah, they had the they had Nick and they have they had Bastion. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it Bastion his name? Yeah. Or was mm-hmm. Sebastian, um, as their live live band essentially. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it doesn't say it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. No. Cool. I feel like we should uh, move on to the next segment unless you have any any wrap-up thoughts on the video. No, let's do it. Cool. I guess, um, yeah, I definitely found it as a more interesting video than uh, than the last one when we covered MRI. Uh, yes, for sure. Definitely more artsy. But yeah, let's move on. Um, last time we had this segment a little bit earlier in the, in the show, the... Uh, first experience or best experience of introducing palace players live so we need a few anecdotes here on uh, on experiencing this song live but first Otwe, can you uh, give us a little bit of our friendger's input here yeah so this is from Utah in Finland I saw you live for the second time ever at the circus in Helsinki after they had released plus minus I was low-key hoping they would play introducing palace players because it was, and still is, my favorite Mew song. I was so hyped when I heard them play it. It was at that moment when I could finally let go of all my anxiety and dance. Have the time of my life. I mean, it's a surprisingly danceable song. Like. It is, yeah. Next, we, we have uh, Steffi from the Netherlands. It was on the 11th of November 2009 in Amsterdam during the No More Stories tour. It was Bo at his best live. You could see how much he loved and enjoyed playing the song live. It was amazing. Gave me goosebumps all over. Hmm. Yeah. Well, for me personally, I saw the song live for the first time in Oslo in August of 2009. So about three months after the song came out. 
but before the album came out. So I think that possibly was the only song I knew from the album, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, I I don't remember exactly how I how I felt about the song seeing it live then, but I remember one time in um, specifically when I saw them in Los Angeles in 2015 uh, at the Fonda Theater, and um, yeah, it just seemed like the song was very popular with the crowd there. And I was sitting, um, I was in this, this seating area. But there was uh, people standing in front as well. But I remember this guy next to me. He went crazy. He was just like jumping around, and he was like, uh, <laughs> for me as a Scandinavian who's used to Scandinavian crowds seeing me, it was so much fun to see. He was he had this like all different vibe to the song that I uh, wasn't used to, and for me that just made kind of the night for me. Just seeing that guy just. Uh, going nuts over that song and yeah uh, at the time I was uh, as I said earlier a student in the UK and um, I was uh, the whole summer I, I had was actually going to see Michael Jackson in London in August so I, I was only listening to Michael Jackson for two months straight um, even though the song had come out but then when I saw obviously when I re- uh, received the news that he died and I had tickets to see him and all that stuff. I was very upset and just uh, listened to him for a long time. And then when the album came out, finally, I just got got some time off, you know, sobbing and being depressed. <laughs> and because Michael Jackson was my hero when I was a child, um, so then I could just like focus on something else. And it was a great like when I saw them in Oslo. It was um, a great moment for me. So. So you very much connect the song to the the death of Michael Jackson in that way? Would you say that? <laughs> in a very strange way, yes, I do. Because it was the same time. And I, that was like the only thing I listened to was Michael Jackson and Mew at that time. What about you guys? My first experience with the song, I think I touched upon it last time uh, when I talked about they were basically playing in my backyard back when I, I lived in Copenhagen, in, in central Copenhagen in my old flat there. Literally? Um, sorry? Uh, I know. I said, "Wait, literally." It's it took me a minute. I got really excited. Okay, no, not literally, but kind of. <laughs> uh, Copenhagen's not that big of a place. Um, yeah. So, so they they were playing like five minutes from where I was on a bike. Um, I used to uh, live in a area of the city called Ama, mm. which is also where, incidentally, there's a lot of um, old factory. Uh, what you call buildings and such um, and a lot of TV studios uh, have converted those into TV studios obviously a lot of TV channels have converted into TV studios uh, and Mew was used I believe using one of these TV studios as a rehearsal space for their live tour um, at least that's how I understand it because it was all just prepped and ready there so they were doing this uh, secret showcase that I mentioned last time that you could win tickets to if you had guessed a certain you had followed like a certain online mystery. Um, so I was one of the, I got an opportunity to buy this ticket of a Finnish person actually who couldn't go. Uh, and it was like a day before the show or something like that. Uh, and Mew had just the week prior, I believe was, let me try and think, let me try and date it. I believe they released the tickets on the 15th of June. Cause guess why? Um, New day, <laughs> and the, yeah. yeah, and the tickets were 156 kroner. I believe I believe mentioned that last time as well, and I think the week before was when, oh, so they released it on the 29th, 
So the song had been really new. Like introducing Palace Blaze had been really new at that point, uh, but I had definitely heard it for a good while and gave it a few goes trying to get into it. Um, and then I actually have a video. You can find a video on YouTube from that show. It's on the 24th of June. It's in the video's title, actually. <laughs> this is when the show was. Um, hmm. And then they start off. It, it was so odd because I was kind of expecting them to you know, play the whole shebang. It was first time seeing them and all. And um, I didn't know what to expect because uh, I hadn't been at a... I don't think I'd have been to an actual concert at, at this point. Like an actual concert that I wanted to go to and watch. Um so here I am in that rehearsal studio with about 150 other people, maybe 156, as I, I might suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But expecting to hear a few new songs, not knowing how many. And they open up with New Terrain, and then they kick into um, Palace Players. I think I'm going to play it a little bit here. Yeah, the first thing that really hits me here was like how danceable it was. Because at this point, I really wasn't into it. I really couldn't connect with it. And then they go into it here, and once the song actually kicked into to gear, was when it clicked with me, like how good of a song it was. Um, yeah. And then, as I said last time, when when I was in the queue for this this show, was when I got the call to where I was asked if I wanted to go to the Big Roskiller Festival the following weekend, and uh, and see. It what essentially turned out to be the exact same show because that was obviously that rehearsal go right, and now I wasn't with 150 people, it was with like 30,000 people, and most of those people have probably never heard the new songs, and then they open with this oddity of new terrain, and then into the well, it's been played on the radio weirdness of the the first song, which is introducing Palace Players, right, that first single. So uh, that's kind of my my first experience of the song uh, live. Um, yeah. How about you, Anne? Um, yeah, the first time I saw it live was my first Mew show ever. It was December of 2009. And um, I didn't know like really what I thought about the album as a whole or even the song. So when I heard it live, that's when it changed my opinion of it. Because like it's been mentioned many times now, it's it's so different when it's played live. You, you get the... the um, energy of the crowd going crazy around you and the dancing like it's it's super danceable and it's live I don't know if they're playing it faster than normal when they play it live or what it is about it but you can really feel it and so yeah when I saw that live that that's when I started to really get what it was and uh, you Heather so my first time was when they were touring with the dodos in 2015 in october at webster hall um i think webster is closed now which is really really sad Hmm. um i've seen quite a few in new york yeah yeah new york city um so this was right during their uh their plus minus tour um so I'm actually looking at the set list right now and I'm just like stunned at just how good the set list is um, because especially since Kimbra was a, a guest on that tour. Oh, wow. oh yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it just like between Water Slides and The Night Believer. It was just uh, it was just such a great show. So, um, you know, so as I was explaining, you know, earlier, you know, I'm really late to the Mew game. You know, you guys have been fans of theirs since, you know, a really long time, much longer than me. 
So I had gotten into Mew only a couple months after their their United States tour when they came to New York City in December of 2009. Um, so I had missed that, and I was so angry, and I had to wait until 2015 to finally see them. And I just – so anyway, before I go on one of my grandma stories, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I agree with Anne. I think Introducing Palace Players is such a danceable song live. Um, in, on the album, I think it's slower. Um, probably I'm going to say maybe even just like a mere 10 BPM. It's, it's just a little bit slower. So, I mean, increasing that just like, and, and the, and the energy of the crowd around you, it's just, it's, it's so exhilarating to watch them play it live. So I, I think like, I really appreciated the song for what it was after seeing it live. Is it, is it correct? They've, they cut the intro Mm-hmm. part of it when played live yeah. since in in 2015 i believe yeah. they did that in 2015 yeah because um when they brought it back uh, to the set list after maybe a few years uh living it out and i just remember seeing that uh in los angeles the same tour as you did heather um yeah they just started with a the drop down thing really uh, was this was this before or after boat left you saw them directly after I was so mad. Oh, so you didn't get to I, see Bo? No. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still so holding on to hope no that Bo is going to come back someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I always found it fascinating how they, they pull it, pull used to at least pull that intro off in the same way that they would pull it off in the album. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which which yeah. also always fascinated me. Like, whoa, like... The, the, uh, the, Apparently it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it sounded really tight. And then the drop, yeah. And uh, but yeah, and also in in the beginning they used to have like an extended outro with a bow just jamming on his guitar and with a Silas going nuts on the drums and yeah, it was kind of I don't know if it fit the song to be honest, but it was kind of cool. Um, I don't know if you have seen that part. I can't remember I to actually, be honest. No, yeah, because they stopped doing that after. I think they stopped doing that after the Normal Stories tour. I think they don't do it anymore. That was just played like on on the album, pretty much, except from the beginning. Maybe it just wasn't well received by the crowd. You know, it's kind of like a, a quiet, quote unquote, boring intro. Yeah, it's it's a pretty long segment, and and maybe just in the interest of being able to play more songs, they drop it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always found that the the song as well never really connected with with crowds in the way, especially at festivals, where you know people are kind of there for the hits and they want to sing along and they want to get drawn in. And here's this song that's really hard to get into. Um, so uh, yeah, I can I can see why they've they've kind of cut it and and only played it at at special occasions in that way. But yeah guess to wrap up it's it's a very sexy song live and that's probably where it got its 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 name from right <laughs> um so let's move on to our personal opinion on the song and try and wrap this one up uh, let's start with a few fringers here first we have uh, again we have Yuda from finland uh it's my favorite song by Mew. it was love at my pretty much first hearing I remember listening to it on repeat for about a month when I first heard it with barely listening to anything else at all, which is still is an unbeaten record for me. 
It left such an impact on me over the years. My interpretation of the lyrics has changed multiple times, mainly because of my personal life. Especially the ending lyrics have become more personal for me and I plan on having them tattooed at some point. Oh, whoops. I hope we didn't ruin them for her. <laughs> <laughs> True. Hopefully you still get the same the same things out of it. Yeah. Hold the tattoo for now. Yeah, hold, hold the tattoo for now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we'll get back to it later. Um, but yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, that's also an experience I have that, that lyrics change over time. The more I hear it and at, listening to it at different points in life, even all that, that goes for all the songs, right? That the meaning of the lyrics can change and, and bend. But yeah, anyway, moving on. Yeah, up next we've got Martina from Italy. I still love it a lot, even though I don't really think it's in my Mew top five. When it came out, it was a shock because it was so different from the previous songs, but that initial rift is still amazing. And Stefan from the Netherlands says, I absolutely love it. It's one of my all-time favorite Mew songs. The whole song, the build-up, the guitar, the bass, the drums, the song, the rhythm, it's all fantastic and perfect. It's so complex, you keep on discovering more and more layers every time you listen to it. It's truly magical. So she seems to love it a lot then, yeah. What about your own opinion, Odva? Uh It's definitely one of my favorites from the No More Stories album. I wouldn't rank it amongst my very top favorites of all Muse songs, but it's a great song and um, I really love seeing it live. And actually, I feel like it's still growing on me in a way, <laughs> weirdly enough, after almost 10 years. Um, it's just a song that I... I seem to be playing more and more as time goes. So, yeah, I really like it. And you, Anne, what's your personal opinion on this? And have have you had a changing opinion on it uh, throughout? Yeah, the years? Um, yeah. My original um, feeling about it and the entire album was this is not and the glass handed kites, and I'm sad. So. And in those first couple of months that I listened to the album, I was listening to it all as a whole. You know, I, I wouldn't listen to individual tracks, just the whole thing. And I was like, Ugh, I don't know what I think about this, uh, but I'm just I'm determined. I'm going to give it a chance because I know they've had some changes. They're, they're, they're not going to be exactly the same band that they always were. Um, so, at yeah, at first I wasn't so hot on it. And then I saw it live and I, I got a different experience of the song. Okay, okay, I like this. And then sometime later, it might have even been a, a couple of years later, somebody suggested to me that the lyrics were not about just a random girl, but it could have been Johan. And I was like, oh, of course, okay. And so it had that much more of a personal interpretation. And at that point is where I was like, okay, I really, really groove on this. I, I understand maybe where where he's coming from and what he's trying to say in the lyrics. They're they're not just so obscure anymore. And I, I honestly, it took me about four years before I could say I love this album. And now there are times where I just feel like listening to this album over, you know, any of the other choices because there's something about it that. It took a while for it to click, but when it clicked, I was there. I was really in there, and I still feel that way now. I I, I really love it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. And uh, Heather, do you have any personal opinion on this song? And like, can we hear it? And has it changed over the years? Maybe, maybe even changed today. Um, it definitely did change today. Um, now with Anne kind of explaining, you know, a, a very possible interpretation of what it is it makes a lot of sense and it gives me a lot more of an appreciation for it um 
I never disliked the song. Um, I liked it when I first heard it because it, it was just, again, like a very straight out, to me, a very rocky song. Uh, not necessarily danceable, but at least head boppable. Um, and it just, you know, once that, once that drop hits, it's just kind of like this yes feeling. Um, and that was all the more confirmed when I saw it live. It was just like, you know, like the, the lights would dim and then, you know, like the, the, the lights would go out into the crowd, um, you know, right at that drop. And it just, it just fits so well. So, um, this is definitely one of those songs that, that when I hear it, I'm all of a sudden taken back to my first new show and, you know, I'm right there against the railing. I'm in there, there. Uh, their audience picture. I'm right there. I can see myself, um, <laughs> and it just and it just puts me right back in in that night again. Um, I don't and and looking at the set list, I don't think any of those other songs do it for me. Not like that. Um, Mason. Yeah. So my own personal opinion on it is, I, I like it. I really do. Um, but it's it's not a go to. It's not one I would always pick first. Um, it, as someone who came from the super hype times of of kites and and fringers, I had a very different expectation of this album, and and were obviously those were very subverted. When <laughs> uh, once the album hit, and uh, and this was just the the first intro to it. It wasn't gonna be that highs and lows. It wasn't gonna be that amazing straightforward not straightforward guitar riff of like say apocalypso but it was just going to be quirky and awkward but you know as as time has gone on i've really come to love it um in its own way and and that goes for the the whole album i remember always thinking this is the song this and repeater beater always being the songs that stuck out on this album like that was the old sound of mew whilst every other song on that album had a like like every other song had a very different sound to this one um it's always felt like this was also the connection back to the old stuff um i don't know if any of you had have had that thought but that's always been so so i guess what i'm saying here is that i've always liked introducing players players uh about as much as i was like the old stuff i feel like i'm getting tired now and rambling um but yeah I guess, uh, is there any final words before we, we move on and say goodbye? Mm. I'll take that as a no. <laughs> okay. No, not really. <laughs> but uh, let's wrap it up. It's getting late, at least for me personally. Um, so yep. I, as a final thing, I'd like to say thank you for listening and uh, thank you, Heather, for uh, being with us. Yes, oh, yeah. thank you, Heather. Oh, yeah, and of course, enjoy. thank you for having me. To you, uh, awesome peeps, Anne and Otma. Um, we'll see you in the in the next episode, and where we're going to be talking about. I should have been a sensei for you. Ooh, so yes. uh, let's see how that goes. <laughs> anyway, Very interesting to you listening. Remember to subscribe to us uh, on your favorite podcast app, uh, and or visit muex.info uh, for more information all about Mew and, of course, about this podcast. And you can follow uh, Muex also on Instagram and Twitter as well. Yeah. I guess that's it for for this time. See you later, guys. And thanks for, for today. Yep. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.